Hello, welcome to our show. Hello, this is the show. Okay. Oh, hi, Wrigley. Sorry, that's my dog. Wants to be famous. Yes, because we are international pod stars with episode one. Pod stars. International pod, P-O-D. Not to be confused with any other words that sound similar. Princess! In my accent. It's a soothing girl. Can you tell who's Hope and who's Andy? (laughs) That, That was not Hope. That one was not. Um, blah, blah, blah. okay. So, what, what, how do we, how do you, how do you podcast? How do we start a podcast? Um, I want to hear a spooky story. So, Hope has a story and I don't know what it is. Should we, uh, is someone going to get murdered? Yeah. Like, how we're going to do, well, I mean, we haven't even talked about it, so can we figure oh, yeah. it out loud yeah. right now? Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll figure out how we're going to do this live. That sounds good to me. Okay, that's how I do everything. Um, okay, so you have a story and I have a story. I don't yeah. know your story. You don't know my story. Correct. And then you said, I'm going first. Do I we, think you should go first. Do we want to do that every week or do we want to flip one? Whatever, we're just rolling with it. So just what we feel. Yeah. Okay. I like it. Unless you're like, bitch, I go first every time. No, I'm yeah, not I really feel. to the idea of going first every time. Me too. I agree. I agree, I agree. But yeah, we're, like, really unique, actually. It's, we're, uh, we're, we're doing the same thing that every other True Crime podcast. Worse. Lower quality. Yeah. <laughs> but the, the, the passion and the enthusiasm are of the highest quality. Exponential. But, but uh, we're not there yeah. yet. We're trying. We're trying. Um, Another news. We want to have a really cool theme song. It just isn't ready yet. Andy is my friend from school. I'm old now, so I'm graduated, but Andy's still in school, and... Even uh, though we're international pod... P-O-D. Stars? Stars? Stars. Well... Not stores. We are not pod stars. I mean stores. Pod stores. (laughs) We are not you all. (laughs) We're none of the above, honestly. (laughs) And we're getting nowhere fast on the end of the month. Andy's like, let's make funnies, and then I have to edit it, and I'm not funny. Okay, so Andy and I met at SBA Back to School Party. Heck yeah. I don't know what that place is called. Radio uh, something. Yeah, Ra- Queen City Radio. Queen City Radio. Trying really. In August of yep, 2019. And I immediately wanted to be Andy's friend because she was just, she, she made me laugh a lot. Like every time you talked, I was like, I don't know what the heck she's talking about right now, but I love it. And then you just kept telling me these funny stories and it was just like little ones, but I was like, yeah, I'm going to be friends with her. And then you ended up being really good friends with my mentees and then I got to be friends with you more and then now we have a podcast. That's true. That's exactly how it goes. Yeah. Yeah. That's all you I remember to talking to you and I was like, dang, this 3L talking to me, 3L, third year. And um, uh, I don't like have friends, so it was really cool because- Nobody has friends the first week of school. Yeah. And in case you guys were wondering what the topics we talk about on this podcast are, it is scientific, medical- um, information that we acquired through heavy data research. Yikes! At a ground, a, po- a podcast ground rule. I don't, I don't do bodily functions very well. Like vomit. Like talking about it. Like just all the above. I don't do vomit. I don't like vomit. Uh-uh, if I, I, I could see somebody vomit, and I could even maybe smell someone's vomit. But if I hear somebody vomit, <laughs> then it's like there was this dude at my dad's <laughs> college, and if you made the sound of vomit, like you just went up to him and were like, what? He would vomit. <laughs> We just had yummy dinner. Josh, Chef Josh. Chef DoorDasher Josh. Yeah. Not. You love to see it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's a good boy. He's a nice lady. He's a, he's a nice man. We respect him. Yeah. Josh is Hope's living boyfriend. He and his living girlfriend were having a poker tournament. That's like that guy. Yeah. Listen. And the fair. Or did he? Or did they? Or did they? 
Enunciate the important things. I don't enunciate anything. Chicken nuggets. (laughs) Pita pockets. What is that? Pita pockets. I don't know what that is. It's like a pita and it looks like a pocket. I don't know. Pita pockets. We make pizza on it. Pita? Hmm. In the air fryer. Pizza pockets? Pita. Pita. Pita bread. You ever been to Uber Java? I don't don't frequent Uber Java. Coronavirus. Have you, please tell me you've seen. I I just want to clarify. I just want to put it on the record. I'm not making light of coronavirus. Yeah. I'm very sympathetic about coronavirus. Um, oh. But it's this, like, boy who's pretending to be a pageant announcer. And his little sister's like a little pageant girl. In her free time, coronavirus likes attacking people's respiratory system. <laughs> and then the little girl's just, like, doing her little pageant walk the whole time. And then at the end. Wait, is the little boy literally saying this? Yeah, he's like her teenage brother. And uh, he's, like, uh, pretending to be the, like, MC of the pageant. <laughs> it's the... Like I said, most tasteless but most hilarious thing I've ever seen. I know what I'm doing tonight. But, I mean, okay, so why did we start this podcast? Um, not custodian ones. Not custodian ones. Because we are creatives. We're artists. And so we're content creators. Yeah. Um. Uh, we uh, can't talk like that. Somebody's going to leave a one-star review and be like, I'm sorry, but it's not like that. <laughs> and I'll be How like, do you type that? <laughs> I think it's just uppercase, lowercase, uppercase. I am sorry. It's like um, Alexis Rose, but with yeah. even worse vocal fry. Like, because um, you mix it. <laughs> 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 the number one thing, like, I just said block four times. I know, that's row. very painful. In it, um, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, no, I'm I was like, so worse. I was so worse. Okay, well, the one that I'm covering. So I really like a podcast called Southern Fried True Crime. Um, the amount of thought, she, like, she puts so much thought into every sentence she says. Oh, yeah. It's like, she'll say, oh, and then he called her this. It's like, how do you know? Like, how did right. you ever find I that? Know. I know. All the information well, I can never find that. Well, in cases of color, look, something that drew me to that one is she is just a master of making the facts be conversational and yeah. making it clear just by her delivery, you know, what is emotion. So she'll be like, this is what was a fact in the case. So she'll say the fact and be like, you guys understand, this is a fact in the case. So she's, like, bringing in the listeners, making that conversational effort. And then, you know, you can hear her when she starts to bring in the emotion of it. Which is obviously, like, for some of these podcasts, like, are just as important as the facts. Yeah. But the fact that she's able to show you that the distinction is really important. As literally, I cannot imagine, like, her... Her, her outrage. Her, yeah, her outrage, her perspective on yeah. things, and, like... But she delivers it in the most, like, calm, analytical, logical, methodical right, way. Right, So that you can see... I'm not being emotional, and I'm not just yelling about this because I'm mad. I'm telling you the straight-up facts. This is what happened. Right. Look how terrible this is. Right. Now we get to be mad about it. Right. Honestly, NPR is what's turning on. I mean, I think they have, like, such interesting delivery. Um, and although they're assumed to be a liberal-leaning, mm-hmm. they they are much closer to the center than I think people realize. It's, and so I that's, like, how I got hooked on it because I just really respected how they laid out the facts and how they would um, interpret them so that you can understand, like, what, yeah, this is important to know, but what are the implications? Well, it comes back to the idea of, like you said, with the host of Cases of Color, like, this is the facts. We can get emotional about it later, like, this is the facts. Right. Just because you share a fact that somebody disagrees with doesn't make that fact any left or right. It's right. just, that's yeah. the fact. Right, right. I feel like we're in a really divisive, vicious cycle of being like, oh, I don't agree with that, so it's it's too conservative, it's too Republican. Right. Like, no, that's a, that is a non-partisan right. fact. Right, right. Facts really shouldn't. That's a scary, it's a scary slope. Oh, Whenever yeah. we're like, oh, this yeah. is political. So. Anyway. Important to think about. Okay. Do you want me to tell you what my story is? Yes, I'm really excited. Drum roll. Which is East Kentucky. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So my story this week is honestly kind of like a hometown murder. Really? I mean, it's legit a hometown murder. How close? Like. 
like to a, you growing up? Um, twenty minutes. Uh, it's like the town where all of our like the nicer restaurants are. Where for the longest McDonald's. time, well, we haven't gone, but <laughs> for the longest time, it's like where the Walmart was. Like really? when I was like four or five, we didn't have a Walmart in Belfry. Yeah, so you had to go to Pikeville. What county is it? Pike. Okay, in Kentucky. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's where I'm from. That's where I like grew up until I went to college. But okay, so if you look at a map of Kentucky, there's like a pointy mm-hmm. spot on the corner, mm-hmm. and if you, the main farthest pointy part is Pike County, and it's like on the border mm-hmm. of West Virginia. Oh, okay. So okay, okay. the victim in this story is actually from just like 20 minutes on the other side in West Virginia. Mm-hmm. And I just want to real quick before I get started, go over the names of the places in my story because people are gonna like that don't aren't from there that don't know are gonna be like that redneck just said that wrong. No. That's how everybody who lives there says oh, okay. it. Okay, yeah. So like, I know what's coming. Yeah, it's like a like a say it how you spell it, but it's like mm-hmm. no, that's just how it how it said. So say it that way. <laughs> so the victim is from a town called Mate One, West Virginia. How do you, how do you think you spell Mate One? Mate One. Yeah. M a t e w o n. Okay, that's actually really close, and that's how you should spell it. Yeah. But it's spelled M a t e w a n. Okay. That's fine. And people, and like the podcast. Mate Wan. <laughs> Mate Wan. <laughs> so all the podcasts and like people who aren't from around here and they'll be like, do you know where Matawan is? And I'm like, <laughs> uh, son, you mean Mate Wan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's not it. But yeah. So, um, yeah. So I guess I'll just, you know, break into my 27 pages worth of notes. Here we go. Here we go. Okay. Um, this is the murder of Susan Daniel Smith. Susan Daniel Smith was born in 1961. Um, like I said, she is from Mate One, West Virginia, which is a small coal mining community. Um, and according to Wikipedia, um, in 2010, there's only 499 people that live there. Oh my God. Does so, that sound right? Like, based on. I mean, I, I think so. I don't really yeah. know. I feel but like... it's ultra small. Like, I know that they just had, like, one small hospital, one small. Like, right. Is the coal mining still, like, active? Like, is that what people do stay, still there? Like, is um, that... Coal mining is still active, but not anywhere near as active oh, yeah. as it was, like, when I was a little kid. It, yeah. It's pretty debilitated in the area, right. which is leading to a lot of issues. Susan had a really rough go at life, really, from the beginning. Um, so, she's from Mate One, but she grew up in this place called Freeburn, Kentucky. So, it's, like, working your way closer to Pikeville. Mm-hmm. Um, and she had, like, alcoholic dad... Um, which is really just traumatic. Um, and then I found a lot of sources that said she was actually a really smart little girl, but unfortunately she quit school when she was only like the seventh grade because I, I think I heard this on Southern Fried True Crime. She said that she just had more important things to do or she had other things to mm-hmm. do. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, girl. Um, and unfortunately, one of those more important things she had to do was to start dating a local businessman. Mm. I'm just kidding. He's not a businessman. He was the local meth dealer. Oh. <laughs> and dating them. Not. Well, then she, unfortunately, she married them. Oh. Yeah. Worse. Yeah. Working to dating or dating to working? No, she never works for him. She just starts dating him. Okay. Yeah. And how old is he? Um, he's older than her. I think she's like 19 when they get married and he's like 24. Yeah. But if she quit school in seventh grade, she's like. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She starts dating when she's like a young teenager. Okay. But, I mean, still doesn't make the situation better, but. Yeah, no, no. I mean, he's probably at least an adult when they start dating. She's still a minor. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, but it's unfortunate because, you know, he beats her, he cheats on her, and he steals meth. Um, and along with that comes, like, a lot of seedy people, and she's around a lot of seedy people. Right. 
Um, but nonetheless, they have two kids together, um, Miranda and Brady. So she's young, she's married to the meth man, she has two little kids. Um, and as a result of her husband's work, like I said, she's around a lot of rough characters pretty frequently. Um, and she comes to know a bank robber in the area. Mm-hmm. And this is, <laughs> bank robbery is not funny, but it's just funny to me because I'm like, I've never heard of any of this at all. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So this is like all after the fact. Like this, I mean, obviously you weren't alive in 1961, but like, yeah. when this, did you first hear about this case? When I literally, when I Google it. Like, that's crazy. Like just like murders in the area. Or yeah. Something like that. And uh, okay. Sidebar, I will say that I have always heard a local urban legend mm-hmm. about an FBI informant that gets murdered. Plot twist, she's an FBI informant. What? Yeah. Um, but I... Is, okay, 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 okay. I'll let you say stories, but I, that's so interesting. Yeah, yeah. Homegirl, homegirl really, you know, killed it for a little bit. Um, you know, this time. But, so, I've always heard this legend, and this is not at all what happened to her. And I'm assuming... That it had, because how many women in Mate One or from Mate One are FBI informants that get murdered? Right. That that's not common. Like, right. there's right. maybe like a couple murders probably a year in the whole area. So right. I mean, I could be grossly underjudging that, but I, I you don't hear about it. Because yeah, the so, state of yeah, a population they gotta have. Really, it's like y'all would be just right. running out. Right. Right. So I've always heard since I was a little kid that somebody killed an FBI informant, chopped her up. And it was a girl, so it has to be her. Chopped her up and put her in the freezer at the pizza time. I don't even know if there's a pizza time in May one, but is that like a like a chain? It was like a small little like maybe they had like one or two locations. Okay, okay. It was probably a family owned. I don't know, but it was real good and it was right across from amazing. the hospital at the time, which is now the middle school, and it was the greasiest best pizza in the world. Mm. Um, but I guess none of that's true. So I guess they just tell you that to freak you out. I don't know, but I have never ate a pizza time pizza and not thought about a dead FBI informant in I mean, the yeah. freezer. But I've been Gallon sauce. Yeah. This is exact. Those 13 spices and recipes. Um, herbs and spices. Herbs. It's one recipe. Herbs. Herbies and spices. 13 Spins. herbs and recipes. Herbs, spices. <laughs> 13 recipes for one pizza. What would it uh, okay, back to Susan. Okay, so she knows a bank robber in the area. What <laughs> is he robbing? Banks. But like, <laughs> but like in a town of 200 some people. He robbed the first national bank in Farrell's Creek. That's where, that's what it was. And how much did he get away with? I, that I don't know. Probably not much, no. I mean. In, and that's in Meta, Kentucky. And I just want to clarify that I heard other podcasters say, Meta, it's another one of those EKY slash... West Virginia Bank, it's Mita. Mita. M-E-T-A. I mean, just Mita. like with that little of people, uh... How many people's money are you getting? Right. Even if you get, like, everyone in the in the whole town, that's only 200 people. I, it, even, okay, let's say for simple sake, they everyone's got $1,000 in the bank. Yeah, I see $200,000 now. I mean, I would like $200,000. I mean... Anyway. If this doesn't take off... Right. Do you have an all-black outfit and a mask? Yes, and I have no assets except for my dog. Okay. So people... Can't, I mean, they can sue me all they want. I don't think they sue you when you're a bank robber. I think you go to jail, federal prison. That's their this choice. Solicitation. You ever seen Crawshank? Did my dogs just throw each other down the I kinda, stairs? I think, I think I heard a piano. <laughs> I think I just heard the cartoon when the the person throws the piano over the balcony onto someone. Yeah. Waffle is the piano. Wiggly throwing the piano onto. Rick. Yeah. 
Uh, hi, I have two dogs named Waffle and Wrigley. And a cute visitor. And I have a little house guest, and her name's Melly. And Waffle's her boyfriend, but Waffle doesn't want to be her boyfriend. But yeah. Sorry about that. Sorry, I also talk in my dog's voice sometimes. This is Waffle. And this is Wiggly. So, Wiggly. I just talk about my dish and this and the dog, actually. <laughs> This, ah, yeah, this is Baby J. This is Baby J. Say hello. Um, how are you? I miss you. Um, <laughs> I never made it before, but actually, I would really miss you. I never made it before, but like, I think we're soulmates. Yeah. I, I think I want to kiss you for a long time. Is it okay with you? It's okay uh, if we just cuddle for like Let's two hours. A little bit. <laughs> Uh, uh, people <laughs> hate us and they haven't even listened to this Somebody yet. call 911. This podcast is a rambling session. Yeah. Also, I can't. Why am I trying to sing? Right? I can't sing. Me neither. I don't normally sing. Is this a nervous habit I don't have? Oh, what's this? No. Excuse me. What's the psychology behind this or something? Yep. Google. Okay. So, so bank cut robber. all that out. Okay, when you say associating with a bank robber, you mean like associating or being like, Sup, hey Dean, have a good day. No, I mean, she's he's like besties with her meth man husband who, because the, the bank robber has like a pretty bad meth problem. Um, and her husband like sells him drugs, gives him drugs, and they're friends. And the reason, okay, hold on, I'll tell you. Guess what the bank robber's name is? Uh, Rob. Nope, you're never gonna guess. His name is Cat Eyes. Kaz? Cat Eyes. Cat Eyes. Yeah, Cat. Cat Eyes. <laughs> Please translate for the listeners. I know. <laughs> cat. Eyes. Mouth eyeballs. <laughs> um, yeah, okay, so his name is Cat Eyes, but his real name is Carl Lockhart, but they call him Cat Eyes because he had, like, really green, pretty eyes. Oh, that's a nice thing. That's so nice. I'm gonna call him Cat Eyes because that's what I like. Um, I did try to look for a picture of him, but I didn't find one, unfortunately. Oh. I just imagine, like, really thick cat eyes on someone. Um, I just imagine the animatronic nightmare garbage fire that was the cats movie from i didn't watch it because i didn't I either didn't want to no but okay so I, i've always wanted to watch cats like on broadway cats yeah yeah and i was like oh maybe this will be no, no it scared no, me no 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 actually it's it just looks like dog. naked humans with cat over top of it i didn't like it yeah i don't respect that no um okay so cat eyes is a freeloader so he yeah. he's kind of like of everything or like Meth, like, um, probably. I don't know. I would be speculation if I said of meth, but yeah, he has all this money because he robbed banks, but and he didn't have a house, I guess. So instead of like buying a hotel or renting a hotel room, he just freeloads and couch surfs for like extended amounts of time on Susan and Kenneth's couch. And mm-hmm. so, um, that's what he did after he got out of jail. And then once he gets out of jail, wouldn't you know it, all these banks in the area start getting robbed again with like the same MO mm-hmm. as his bank robberies. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Yeah, and then, like, Susan's just tired of him. Like, she's tired of cat eyes. She's tired of, like, him being on her couch all the time. She wants her couch back. All right. right. It's probably stinky. I mean, I would want I would want my couch back. And so she begins informing on him to local police. Well, there's this local police officer at the time. His name's Bert Hatfield. And this is in, like, the spring of 1987. Okay. Oh, wow. okay. For timeline okay. references. So she is 26-ish. Probably. Yeah. I don't know math. I love math. I went I to law school because I don't do math specifically. Cal- calculate them. Damn it, goose. There's calculators for that. Yeah. Um, okay, so she has been helping the local police. And like I said, this officer Hatfield, well, he gets her connected with a first-year FBI agent named Mark Putman, who is based for his rookie assignment in Pikeville, Kentucky. 
wah, wah, based wah. there. Like, is he is he chilling? That's like his first assignment that he assigned him to fight with Kentucky. Undercover. No, he's an FBI agent. Like, oh, like he's out here being one. Like they're like, hey, what up? FBI dude. And he's like not jazzed that they sent him to Pikeville, Kentucky, where it's like, right. what are you? What am I gonna be pro- like helping prosecute meth and like small theft cases? So they're right. like, yes, son. That's exactly what you're gonna do. Go on. But the office was like just really out of sorts, like no organization, anything like that. And so he had clerked for a while as a FB, in the FBI, like offices, but as a clerk, not an agent. Oh, okay. And so that was kind of his strong suit. So that's specifically why they put him. Okay. In the okay. He knew that they could be an asset to him, and he could help them. Right. Right. And so he just wanted a good relationship with him, and he was, you know, he's a likable guy. He sounds nice. Mm-hmm. I'm hanging out with what him. What would think? Wah wah wah. No. Wah. Well, we're not there yet. No. There's twists and turns. Okay, so he is originally from Connecticut. Um, he's married to a woman named Kathy Pump- Pumpkin. That's <laughs> <laughs> not her name or his. Her last name is Putnam. <laughs> so when Mark met Susan, because remember he's an FBI agent, she's an FBI informant, mm-hmm. um, he only had one child, a daughter, Danielle, but later on he and Kathy have a son, which they who they named Mark Putnam Jr., um, and so a little background on Mark, he always wanted to be an FBI agent, um, but he had a hard time getting in to the program. Mm-hmm. Um, he was actually rejected several times. I think it was like four. Really? Like, homeboy was not supposed to be there. Okay. I just, I just want to take a minute and just say that in life, sometimes you get told no. Yeah. And you need to work harder and do better so that you can get a yes next time. Right. But if life gives you four no's to a very specific thing. Baby, that ain't, that ain't your path. Yeah. And there's a reason why it's not your path. And as fate will have it, it would have worked out a lot better if Mark wasn't an FBI agent. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say Mark is no longer an FBI agent. Okay. Okay. Is he alive? Mark is alive. Yeah. Is yep. his wife alive? Uh, no, his wife is not alive. Oh. Wait, yeah, no, his wife's not alive. Because on purpose? Uh, indirect. Okay. You'll see. Um, okay. But the reason why he couldn't really, he couldn't get in at first um, was because he had a, he was an athlete when he was younger. Mm-hmm. Um, so he always knew he wanted to be an FBI agent, but like he had to go to college, you know, do all this stuff. And he right. wasn't, I don't want to say he was dumb because he wasn't dumb, but he wasn't like a star student, but he was a great athlete. He's a soccer player. Mm-hmm. And so he knew that his ticket to be an FBI agent was graduating from college. And so he went to college on a soccer scholarship, mm-hmm. but it's like one of his higher years in um, college, he has a shoulder injury, and he has to have a surgery for it, and mm-hmm. that is really what holds him up from getting accepted. Into okay, the so it's not like a psych issue, yeah, or like no, a no. Tom- yeah. Okay. It's just one of those things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but Kathy keeps calling Kathy his wife, and she's trying to get him in. And I just want to go ahead and establish that you know Kathy's a homie, and if I had to pick a team, Kathy'd be on my team. She'd be my number one draft pick. You'll yeah. see more why. Um, later, but so she tells the FBI that you know they, the Putnams, will waive any and all liability claims if Mark was to get hurt or hurt his shoulder or anything like that. And it worked. He's doing his best to establish himself so he can move on to a more high crime area. Um, so he starts to use Susan as an FBI informant, and that's in like I think it's like the spring of 1987. But it took her a while to warm up to the idea. So she'd been giving police like information and stuff, but. I don't know. It took her a while to warm up to it. When she first meets with um, Mark to discuss it, they're, like, in his car because that, that officer Hatfield, like, told him, you need to meet this 
Right. Susan, she knows a lot. She's connected to, like, right. the seedy underbelly of... She'll help you know what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. And he's probably desperate. Like He is, because he has no contacts. He's new. And he's like, man, if I can just meet somebody that can really help me, then this would be great for both of us. Right. So, um, she's, like, so distracted the whole time that they're talking about it and just, like, asking him random questions. And yeah. it's obvious from the get-go that she's ultra-attracted to him. And um, asked, like, what his wife looks like and if his wife has a good body. Because, like, apparently Susan cared a lot about her looks and, like, took pride in the fact that she, like, had this slim figure. So, it seems like she was, like, I don't know, throwing shade at his wife. Because, like, she didn't know what she looked like and, like, trying to, like, pit herself against her already. And, like, trying to plant a seed of, like, temptation in his mind or doubt about his wife or her looks. I don't know. It seems very manipulative and odd. Yeah. Um, that is odd. I mean, yeah. Especially because, like, there was money and that's great. Right. And, like, also you have to think, like, in his mind, he's an FBI agent talking to a drug dealer's wife. Right. Like, he's not looking at her in any lens other than, I need this woman to right. be my informant at right. this point. I don't... Is there any, I don't like, think she cares. Okay. I don't think she, she cares. It just seems like she was used to, like, running the show, which, I mean, she yeah. She does run the show. She knows what she wants. And right. she tries to get what she right. wants. And by all means possible, most right. of the time. Well, that's what her husband probably sits there and preaches, left, right. Yeah. And and you have to think, she's also in this terrible situation with her husband, so she's going to do whatever she has to do. Right. Try to get away from that terrible situation. Right. There, she's, I mean, there's probably moments when she's like, I'm chill, but there's other times where she's like, wow, this sucks. Yeah. I think there's a lot, unfortunately, yeah. in her life. That was like that. I can imagine. Probably the majority. Yeah. Um, okay, but so he doesn't take the bait, um, but he could tell that she was coming on to him and stuff, and he just kind of diverts it mm-hmm. and has her agree to meet him at his office next time to discuss, like, the yeah. ins and outs of her, like, trying it's, to, like, make it official. Right, right. Official as in professional, not make it official. Right. Yeah. Um, so she ends up agreeing to come to his office, and she provides some really good information on cat eyes and helps the FBI bust him um, in December of 1987. He's arrested. Um, because she gives him information. She's like, I saw him carrying this bag of sold-off shotguns. He had masks. And then she, like, tells him a little bit about his plan to rob this bank. Um, and so they they bust him, like I said. Well, Mark is out of town or busy or something when they arrest him. Mm-hmm. And so the arresting officer is the one that's actually recognized in the local papers. And this makes Susan livid. Like, she is so mad that her man's... Didn't get the credit oh for them God. being a team and busting yeah. on cat But she can't be the one giving credit. So, I mean, I can kind of, like, kind of understand that perspective. Because it's like her success is attached to his. Right. So, she flips out about it and she wouldn't take the compensation. It's like $500 or $1,500. I can't remember yeah. how much. But it's like she's supposed to get paid that because it's a information that leads to an arrest. Right. And so, she's like supposed, that's just how it works. Does she think by not taking it, it'll continue? She told him to keep it. She told him to keep it. She was like, you keep it. You deserve it. You didn't get credit for it. Okay. And he's like, that's not how this works. Like, you have to take it. And she won't. And so his boss, he calls his boss, who's actually in Covington, which is weird. Because it's like, yeah. I live there. No, I live here. Yeah. <laughs> um, but he calls his boss and his boss is just like, write a memo and put that money back in the safe for next time. Which, get a bank account. Why y'all got a safe? Right. That's weird. But yeah. Anyways. So... It's 1987, not 1907. 1987. Yeah, I think he typed it on his typewriter. Yeah. And put it in the bank. Or not in the bank, I'm going to say. Okay, so Mark starts to create this paper trail of her, you know, like, odd, overtly sexual behavior towards him. Um, And just regarding him in general, like, another example, later on she brings him Nike t-shirt and running shoes as a gift. And when he tells her that he cannot accept it, she's like, take it or I'll be offended. Like, it offends me that you won't take this. Yeah. And so he's like, okay, like, I'm just 
trying to keep her happy. So she'll testify against cat eyes. So again, he writes a memo. He puts the memo and the gifts in the safe. That's what his boss tells him to do about this. So at, up to this point, Martha's doing everything right. Like right. he is right. like, this woman is coming on to me. This woman is bringing me gifts. This woman's trying to literally pay me her compensation. Like, what do I do? Right. And they're like, right. just write a memo, bud. Like right. they're doing nothing for him. And he's it's his first year. He has no one to lean on at the Pikeville office because he's basically in charge. Right. So it's like, I'm not saying he's a saint by any stretch of the means at any point of this story, but he also is asking he's, for help and yeah. not getting it. Yeah, and he's following the book. Yeah, and and he's just, yeah. there's not procedures and policies. In right, place. right, and obviously none of this is Susan's fault. Like she's just doing in the moment, like what works for her. You well, know? I, nothing that happens to Susan is Susan's fault, but Susan is coming on to him. Right, and Susan, but I also think that a lot of it is motivated from Mark's the, probably the first man that was nice to Susan. Right, you know, like he. It seems like he doesn't care about her, but he seems like he cares right, about her. Right. And so, you know, she right. she's got a lot of issues on her own. She's got some drug use and stuff, and it right. might make it a little hazy to see that he doesn't right. really care about her. Right. But it seems like he cares about her, and she's got this false hope that he cares about her. Right. But, you know, I do think she's manipulative, though. I do, I do think she was trying to get him to do bad things first. Obviously, since we know that this is Susan's mur- the story of Susan's murder, yeah. you know, for all she's in is he, he pushed the button. I mean, yeah. how many times have guys been like, oh, I'm not into you, but they act otherwise. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. I mean, like you said, we'll never, we'll never know. Right. She's, she's not alive. Um, but, yeah. Um, okay. So, at this point, you know, Mark is just trying to live with it and, like, get through it, get through the testimony, or get through the trial. And then he, around this time, he, like, gets this new partner, which he hates. His name's Ronald Poole. Mm-hmm. And he's like, after this, I'm just going to put her off on Ronald. Because he doesn't like her. She gets on his last nerve at this point. Yeah. Um, okay, so Susan, though, she's starting to try to get close to Mark by befriending his wife. Which oh. is odd. Yeah. And that's kind of why I'm like, oh, there's a lot of manipulation going on. Yeah. That's why I'm like, I still am not victim blaming her. I'm not saying anything right. happened to her it's her fault. But don't call somebody's wife and try to become their best friend to then sleep with their their husband. Right. Don't ever yeah. do that. That's yeah. just completely wrong regardless of And it's gross. Yeah, and just against all moral code. Right. And I mean, Mark obviously saw through this, right? Well, and so did his wife. She but you have to think, again, it's the same thing of when they were in the car together the first time. Okay, this this lady that is an informant, a drug informant, like you usually aren't probably seeing that as a threat to your marriage, you know? Right, right. And so I think that they really lived in that camp way too long. Oh. Which led to problems later on. So, Susan ends up calling the Putnam house. Like, it's a nightly thing to talk to Kathy. And Kathy's really nice, and she feels bad for Susan because Kathy went through a really rough patch when she was younger. Like, she had this really terrible boyfriend, and she married this older man, and then she, like, worked at a massage parlor because she didn't know what that was. And then when she went and participate, this guy, like, tracked her down and raped her and then stalked her, and the police did nothing about it. And, like, it led to a lot of problems in her life until she met Mark. Mm-hmm. And so she felt really bad for Susan because she had been that girl yeah. in that position. Not the same one, but, like, a bad position. Um, and so she kind of started to mentor Susan. But it was weird, though, because I think Kathy needed her because she was dislocated from her home. Like, she didn't have yeah. anybody because Mark yeah. and her kids. And plus it probably made her feel good. I mean, like, yeah. it's a little pity project. I mean, yeah. between her feelings for Mark and her... Um, she's helping situation. Mark. Yeah. She's helping Mark because she's befriending his informant who's then going to be more helpful to him if she's getting off drugs or she's more right. reliable. Or right. She's in a better headspace. Which so, in turn makes Kathy look even better because 
she's the one who really, I mean, got him this job. Yeah, Kathy is the driving force behind everything. That is Mark Putnam. That's positive. That is positive. Not everything. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Okay, so then Susan started to ask Kathy personal stuff about Mark. Like, Susan learned that Mark ran in the evenings, so Susan started to run in the evenings. Mm-hmm. And um, she learned that he really liked to read books, so she started to come to his office every time. Every time she'd come to his office, she'd have a book in her hand. And, you know, it's just little things like that. And, yeah. like I said, in, in no way is this an excuse for murdering her, but it's pretty clear that she had an unhealthy obsession with Mark and that she actively tried to manipulate him and his wife and tried to tempt him into having an affair with her. Mm-hmm. And, like, reverse psychology and him right. into having it. Right. But again, we are all in control of every single decision we make. Right. You cannot force someone to have an affair. Is Susan... She, she just tried to help him get there. Right. Is Susan's husband, like, aware of any of this? Does he yeah, come... Yeah, I think he's just out here running his meth business. Right. He's got your fish to, fish to fry. He does become a little bit aware, but you have to think, he beats her and she's on her and he doesn't care. Right. At the end of the day, he doesn't care. Um... But on one occasion, she just, like, straight up asked Mark, like, let's let's do this thing. Like, let's have an affair. And Mark refuses, and he's like, uh, your friend's with my wife. You literally call her every single day, and you cut her, your hair just to match hers. The other guy. Like, what are you talking about? Oh she literally did that. She cut her hair because Kathy cut her hair. Um, so Mark, like, again, types up another re- memo and says, hey, Susan propositioned me. And he tries to put her off on his new partner, like I said. Um, but his boss is like, no, we need her to testify, so be nice and document everything, which um, is not PC, because it's like, I know this is 1998, but, like, if somebody propositioned me at work, somebody I have to come in contact with, I'd be like, listen, me or them, like, we gotta pick. Right, Like, right. this is not gonna continue. So, I don't know if it's a double standard to season a man, right. or what, but, like, or if it's because of the times. But, again, nobody should ever be put in that position where they're saying, hey, I don't feel comfortable because someone's coming on to me. Right. And the answer is, too bad. Continue to work with them. Right. That's not okay. Right. Um, and this this is a big player later in the actual murder investigation. His name is Jim Huggins. He's the FBI supervisor that led the investigation that led to Mark's confession. Um, he said that this case led to the tightening of the FBI's procedures for handling informants. Wow. So this, like, changed everything. Um, okay, so back to Mark and Kathy's life. So Kathy had just had a baby, who she named Mark Jr., um, and Mark was working on a new case because they caught cat eyes and he was, like, going to trial. And he actually ends up getting convicted in January of 1988, and he is sentenced to 57 years in federal prison for robbery. And Susan receives $5,000 for her contribution, which, how much do you think that is in today's money? Ten thousand. Eleven. Okay. Very close. That was really good. In twenty twenty it'd be eleven thousand. I mean that's still pretty nice. That's a good chunk of change. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it is. Yeah. So we are now in mid nineteen eighty eight. So in mid nineteen eighty eight, Kathy just had the son. Mm-hmm. Um Mark is starting his new case because that one's done. It's called the Chop Shop case. It's a theft case. Yeah. Um this is like it's a really particularly difficult one for Mark and the family. He couldn't really catch a break in the case. He like camps out at the site to try to catch the guys. Um, it gets nothing. He doesn't get any evidence or anything. Just the whole thing is like a flop for him. He's not getting anything. Yeah. Um, and at one point, one of the people involved in the conspiracy literally has the audacity to walk up to him and be like, uh, yeah, good luck. Um, because we have police and politicians on our bankrolls, so you're never going to catch us. Dang. Yeah. And then somebody slashed all his tires. I think that was like at his house. They slashed all his ooh, tires. Ooh, 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 ooh. Yeah. And then the Putnam household started getting phone calls of just heavy breathing or people saying weird, oh, creepy no. things. And so, Kathy is just so spooked that she almost shot a cable guy. 
Oh my god. She almost shot the cable guy because he was um, near the window when she looked out of it. So it's just safe to say that everybody is stressed the heck out and yeah. ready to get out of Kentucky. And Kathy is just really depressed. I mean, postpartum probably. She right. just had a baby. Yeah. Plus, like, this woman is calling all the time. Like, right. starting to be you got kind two of. kiddos and you're got to watch over your shoulder at every moment. Like, yeah, because people might attack your family or kill your husband when he's at work. Or, and then. Kathy, or Susan really starts to kick it up a notch, and she's, like, taunting Kathy. Because you have to think, Kathy this whole time has been like, yeah, Susan's obsessed with him. But now Susan is like, oh, gotta go. Mark's pulling up. Like, she says wow. she'll just stuff like that all the time whenever, literally, like, Mark will be home. And he's like, I'm literally in her house. Like, she's making it up. Under, yeah. She's just lying to, like, get a rise out of Kathy. But it's so weird because she's friends with Kathy. Yeah, that's toxic. Um, But, dun, 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 around this time, Mark takes Susan up on her offer. May start to have an effect. So what was all that whole I mean what what changed? She was like, eh, maybe she'll stop or No, I think just everything in his life was falling to crap and he he's was like, like might as well. Yeah. I'm sure his his wife like I mean, I'm sure they're really there's the strain on their relationship was not helping. Not at fault at no. really either one, but No. So so Kathy was like I mean they both want to get out of there. Like Mark doesn't care about Susan when he starts to separate. He's just using her and abusing her like right. every other person in her entire life. Right. Just not. In a uh, readily visible way. Yeah, but to her, it's a relationship because she's been in love with him this whole time. Oh, yeah. Well, and that's what, you know, that's what she saw with her husband. That's probably what she had with her dad. She's like, oh, this is a normal. This is healthy. This is normal. Right. But it's even healthier than those because he doesn't beat her. Yeah, and because he has a college degree. Right. They have this affair and it doesn't last long. Like, I think it starts like mid-1998 and it's over by December of 1998. Okay. And Mark, to this day, swears that it's like just a couple times thing in the car and that's all. But then, Susan is telling everybody that will listen. Oh, no. Everybody that will listen. Like, she is in love with this FBI agent, and they're they're dating. They's dating, honey. That's what me and Josh always say. Mm-hmm. We's dating. Did you know we's dating? Um, but she's, like, telling everybody to listen that they're, like, dating. They're serious. They're going to they're gonna be together. He's going to leave his wife for her. Yeah. Before that, she had told people that she was, like, his secretary and worked for him. Like, she would brag to people that she was an FBI informant, too. Yeah. Like, she just told everything. That's dangerous. I just don't understand the psychology behind Susan. Yeah. I, I feel for Susan, but I don't understand Susan. Yeah. Um. But, yeah. So, it's over by early 1989. And by early 1989, Kathy has just been fed to crack. Just fed to her breaking point. But Mark can actually petition to be transferred when there's a threat on his family. And so, he does that. And so, he's transferred to Miami, Florida. And he is, you know, he goes into an office there and he starts working. He's doing really great. Is Kathy like, boom, everything's fixed. Kathy's so much happier. Yeah. Because she still doesn't know about the affair. She, Kenneth, Susan's husband, had called her like once and been like, they're having an affair. And she was like, okay, whatever. And Mark was just like, no, they're on drugs. Like, he just completely. Yeah. And he got away because it's believable. Yeah. Like, if a drug informant called you and said, your boyfriend's having an affair. You'd be like, oh, okay. Especially after, like, everything that happened. Like, obviously, like, Mark didn't set it up this way it, to yeah. not, like, have the affair after, like, years almost of yeah. Kathy trying. But it was really convenient for him. It so. was, like, very convenient. Oh, right. yeah, sure, they're on drugs. Because Kathy has had all these phone calls with Susan when she's up and when she's down. Right. But when Kathy's really coming out of her depression, things are going great. Well... Susan is the opposite. She's, like, crashing and burning. She's, like, depressed, confused, spiraling out of control. Mm-hmm. She had, like, 
like there's varying reports on her drug use. They say that like yeah, she was married to that guy that sold meth, but she wasn't really a druggie. She right. would like smoke weed maybe and do some other things like every now and then use cocaine. But then after Mark left, she just like crashed and burned. Like wow. terrible pill addiction. Like yeah, just very serious, very fast, not recreational. Mm-hmm. And actually began um, doing sex work in a local motel. Wow. And so around this time, she's pregnant. Mm-hmm. And so, she tells his partner that he, you know, left in Kentucky. Yeah. Ron, that she's pregnant. It's Mark's baby. And she's, like, telling everybody, I'm what? pregnant, and it's the FBI. What is her husband? Well, her husband calls Kathy in Florida, and is like, she's pregnant with Mark's baby. And Mark freaks out. And then she's, like, in the background screaming, he's lying. But, like, she probably told him that because she was telling everybody. Right. And so, there's paperwork that confirms she was pregnant. And everything. So, Mark ends up having to come back to Kentucky anyways. Like, completely unrelated to her. He has to come back because the chop shop cases are actually going to trial now. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so, he has to tie up some business. So, he, when he gets to Pikeville, he said he's in Lexington and in Pikeville for this business. But he has to come to Pikeville. Mm -hmm. And he, like, there's papers on his desk. It's, like, confirms, yes, Susan Daniel Smith is pregnant, blah, 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 blah. But, like, there's a second page of the report that he never saw. And that, that had, like, more information about, like, when it was conceived, when yeah, it was Yeah, I was going to say, did the timelines, like, line up, you know? In retrospect, probably not at all. Yeah. Which is terrible. Right. Because it's, like, all that's about to transpire for probably... There's never an excuse to murder someone ever. But literally on top of the fact that it's fake. Right, right. It's insane. Right. She might as well have just, like, not even been pregnant, almost, like, at that point. You know what I mean? Well, like, she wasn't pregnant at this point. She actually miscarried the baby. Oh, Which okay. is awful and traumatic and sad. Right. And probably you know, led to even more trauma that led her to pursue right telling him and forcing it on him and acting right. like it was, maybe she could, was like overwhelmed with grief and couldn't accept that it, you know she had right. lost the baby. I don't know exactly when she lost the baby, but I'm pretty sure I'm not exactly they think the baby was probably conceived in February and he was already in Florida probably by then. They right, right. So yeah. it probably wasn't his. But he sees her because she finds out he's in town. And he's, she's, like, beating on his hotel door at the Landmark, which wow. is still, I think it, I don't know if it's changed today or not, but they used to have really good dumplings on their buffet. <laughs> um, and Josh and I actually went there not too long ago because now there's a Mexican restaurant where mm-hmm. the, their buffet used to be. But anyways, so she's, like, beating on his hotel door because his partner, again, told him, hey, she's here, <laughs> right. he's here, so right. you gotta find him. Yeah, yeah. So his partner is, like... Really just making everything sometimes worse. Yeah. And. But also, like, where there's a will, there's a way. Yeah. I mean, she would have found him nonetheless. Right. Because she. But she loved him in an odd way. Right. But I'm not saying that's love, actually, because that's unhealthy. Yeah. Not blaming her, but I'm just saying that's not love. So don't don't be like that. But to her, that was love. Yeah. To her, in her mind, she loved him and it was fine. Um, but, so, he's there for work. She comes, she's, like, beating on his door, and he's, like, I can't deal with this. Actually, the first night I think she called him, she's, like, I'm in the hotel, too. He's, like, I can't deal with this tonight. I have to be up early. I have to prep this other way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Trial. And she's, like, okay, we'll talk tomorrow. So, he sh- she shows up at his hotel room when he's, like, trying to get out the door to, I think he's trying to get to either a meeting in Lexington or, like, a trial or something. Right. And he's, like, I have to go. Like, you, I will talk to you tonight, I promise you. Because yeah. at this point, he knows she's pregnant. Okay. She's pregnant. Yeah. And he's, like, I'm not putting this off. We will talk about it. But right, right. I got to go do my job. Right. And, because it's, like, whether it's my baby, somebody else, if it is my baby, like, I gotta have a job to support. Right. So, he is, goes off, does his thing, comes back, and she is waiting on him, and she, like, has to borrow his clothes, because she doesn't have clothes with her. 
for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. And so he's like, okay. So he lets her buy her clothes, and he can tell she's crying now. And he's like, you're right. Because she's like ready to have like a very, I think Southern Frontier's parents said, a very public, loud fight. Yeah. And she's like screaming like, her baby, and like all this stuff. And yeah. he like had asked her if she would consider getting an abortion, and she's like, no, and gets really offended. Right. And she's like saying, I'll follow you to Florida and make your life miserable. Wow. And so he's like, okay, okay, okay. Let's just get in a car, in the car, and go for a drive and like calm down and talk about it. Because he's right. like trying to mitigate and be like, right. I can't have everybody Instead of a hotel, like, and that literally the witnesses for his trial are staying in that hotel. Oh. So it just makes it look like a disaster. Because everybody knows the players involved in this right. screaming match. And so he's like just trying to get out of there. But keep in mind, because the theory later is this premeditated or not. He's trying to prevent a public fight. So he gets her to get in the car and does more with him. Right. Okay. So they go driving and they're getting close to where she actually lived, her house in Freeburn. And they're like in the mountains or whatever. And they're driving, and they're having, like, she's, like, hysterical. He says, like, screaming him, hitting him, whatever, yelling. Yeah, Because yeah. he's, like, if this is my baby. And that offends her wildly. But keep in mind, she's been doing sex work. It right. might not have been his right. baby. Right, yeah. And he, like, was, like, there's no way it's my baby. She's not showing. She would be, like, five months pregnant by now. Right, he's baby. starting to do the math in his head. Yeah, too bad he couldn't do math because he might have figured it out. And yeah. not have snapped and killed someone. I don't want to say snap because, again, you're in control. But... So, he's like, okay, Kathy and I will adopt this baby and raise it. And she's like, no. And she's, like, starting to attack Kathy and call her, like, every name in the book. And he's like, Kathy's your friend. Why are you saying this about her? Right. And so, her demands are he leave his wife, he mm -hmm. move there, or, like, take her somewhere, and they raise their baby together as a family. And he's like, that's never gonna, like, that, yeah. you are a mistake to me. I'm never gonna leave my wife for you. Like, right, yeah. And so, she's hysterical. And she's, like, just talking to him. She's like, I own you. And, like, so, this is his story. And, like, saying all this terrible stuff to him. And so she starts, like, hardcore attacking him, he says, while he's driving. And, like, her fingers are in his eyes, and she's punching him and beating him, and she's just yelling. And so he's trying not to lose control of the car, and he just starts strangling her to get her to shut up. And um, he strangles her, and then he's, like, realizes what he did. And so he puts her, he, like, is, like, okay, she's not dead. She's not dead. And then he's, like, uh, she is dead. He realizes. So he puts her in the trunk of the car. Drives back to his hotel and goes to bed. Oh, yeah. how do you? Yeah, yeah. You are mm -hmm. a sociopath. Mm-hmm. Um. Okay. So then he wakes up the next morning and goes to his meeting in Lexington, like three hours away. Yeah. And then he's like, mm, "What do I do? I guess I should probably call my police friends and just tell them out of courtesy and like, go ahead and get a jump on." So then he's like, mm, "Nope, don't want to do that." So he takes her clothes off because they're his clothes. Remember. Right. And then he throws, he goes back to where he killed her, basically, and throws her body down like an abandoned mine shaft. And leaves her there for the next year. Yeah. Um, so, he's gonna come back? Well, a AP article states, a former FBI agent who solved a year-old homicide by confessing to the crime and pleaded guilty Tuesday to strangling a pregnant informant with whom he had, with whom he had been having an affair. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You do not solve a year-old cold case because you say you did it. Right. That's not solving it. You can't solve your... That's called confessing. Right. Just, that's confessing. Even if you are a police officer or whatever the heck you are, you didn't solve it because you knew the whole time. You didn't. Wasn't yeah. a mystery. Right. And I got a real problem with that headline because he is a toxic, terrible person who murdered someone. And we're right. giving him credit for just, the murder. Just couldn't deal because a result of his actions. Because he was never supposed to be in that position to begin with. Right. 
because he clearly couldn't handle it. Right. And he clearly made bad choices. Right. And he clearly wasn't cut out to be it. Because this is the first case in FBI history where an agent had been charged with homicide. And that's according to Terry O'Connor, which is literally in this article, his title was, quote, the FBI's top agent in Kentucky. So I'm not sure if that's his official title. Uh, that's yeah. a working title. But when was this? 2000? 2001? Uh, when he admitted to it? Yeah. 1990. 1990. A whole year later after he killed her. Killed her on so June ta- 8th. Or, yeah, June 8th. If he had never had an affair with her, this situation would not have happened. Had he been in control of his own decisions, none of this would have ever happened. Yeah. Sorry, you probably couldn't hear anything I just said because I just beat on the table because I'm outraged. I'm outraged. She might have been the most annoying person in the world to him, but yeah. not so annoying that he didn't choose to have an affair with her. Right. Which then led to this spiral, and then... The consequences of his own actions may right. be caught up with him. Well, they didn't because she had already miscarried the baby. But in his mind, right. had caught up to him. And the only way he knew how to handle it was to just kill her. Right. So, yeah. Toxic. Right. Um, But he entered a guilty plea to one count of felony manslaughter, which is first degree manslaughter, um, on June 12th, 1990. Um, and he claimed the murder was, quote, committed in an act of extreme rage. And he actually... Is the whole reason he got caught because he basically, like, he just started putting bugs in people's ears. Like, he has a big mouth. Well, he got caught because, A, he's stupid and he murdered somebody. B, because he has a big mouth. Right. He, like, immediately, like, a couple days later, called her sister and was like, have you talked to Susan? I can't get a hold of Susan. It's weird. I'd seen her to, like, meet with some people. Have you talked to her? Then he called the police and was like, have y'all talked to Susan? I know she's meeting with some drug people on informant business. You should look into where Susan is. Immediately after. What is this dude's then problem? Then he goes back. To Florida at his new FBI job. Yeah. Waits a little while and then is like, oh, one of my informants are missing from Kentucky. And they're like, okay, that's a matter for local police. Why do you right, care? Let right. them work it out. Right. Because a normal person wouldn't have that involved relationship where they're like, uh, oh, I gotta figure it out. Yeah. And so he starts raising red flags. Well, the local police are actually the ones that put it together. Go Pikeville Police. He ends up confessing to that guy, Jim Huggins, who said the thing about how this changed uh, everything. yeah, yeah. And he's like, all right, Jim, I just like gotta get off my chest. But I, I got to call my wife first. Well, sweet Kathy, sweet, smart Kathy says, you're not under arrest. You ain't got to tell me anything. Leave now. And he leaves. And he goes home and he tells Kathy everything he did, that it's true. He killed her. He strangled her. Oh he threw her body down by a chef. And he has to confess. And she smacks him across the face. Yeah. The next day, he hires a lawyer. And his lawyer's like, you can't prove murder. You don't even have a body. And then Mark is like, no, I will confess. And then... He goes in and confesses, but what? he gets a plea agreement because his attorney's like, you know, right. you can't do anything. Right. And so, his plea agreement is oh to God. a maximum of 16 years. 16 years? 16 years from murdering someone. I say murdering because, to me, I think it could be murder, not just manslaughter. Yeah. There's a lot of things. That's convenient. Right? But, uh, yeah, it's very convenient. Um, and his sentence was actually reduced, though, from 16 to 10 years because of good behavior. Good behavior. Um, he was reportedly, quote, a model inmate. I'm sorry. Golden Boy FBI agent strangled one with his bare hands because he thought he impregnated her. Let's yeah. never use the word model. Yeah. Or good. In, right. In, in right. the same sense. As right. Well. In 1998, Kathy passed away at 38. His wife. Kathy passed oh away at 38 in her Connecticut home. She moved back home to be close to family after he went to yeah. jail. Um, she was found by her daughter, their daughter, who was 13 at the time, Danielle. Wow. Um, and a lot of, like, the bulk of all the information in this case comes from a man named Joe Sharkey. He's a writer who wrote a book about it that was turned into a movie that Amelia Clark stars in as Susan. Okay. Yeah. Um, 
but Mark had like or Joe Sharkey had like a great relationship with Mark and all the players in this case. So he he got all this info. Right, I right. Like to you. I'm gonna yeah. get my sources, but like nonetheless, every source that I'm gonna cite is comes back to him. Right. But um his website states that the cause of death was an apparent heart attack, but other sources, pretty much every other source says liver and pancreatitis disease due to alcohol abuse because she became an alcoholic after her husband strangled someone because she held a lot of the guilt because it's like we were a team and I should have stopped this because I, I saw the trajectory and I didn't I do anything. I cannot imagine. So it, he killed two women basically. Yeah. Because he's selfish and yeah. 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 That's yeah. all. Um, so he was released in from prison in 2000. Um, but before that, the kids were living with her parents. Mm-hmm. Um, but now Mark went on to remarry. Um, and he lives, What woman would marry him? They always do it. They always do. I don't know. But he is now a personal trainer, and he lives in Atlanta, Georgia. And oh. His, he has a good relationship with his kids now. Everything's fine. Um. Oh, my God. Yes. And Do people know this? Like, what if you, like, went to a gym, and he was like, hey, like, I can really help you out, like, blah, blah, blah. Well, there's only two podcasts on there about this, so let's Are get it out there. Are you kidding honey. me? Because this man lives a normal life, and there's literally nothing but debris of his terrible decisions. Yeah. Or his own actions that he, he did. Yeah. It affected so many people. So much fallout because of this man. And he's somewhere in Georgia with a new woman living right. a fine life with his kids. I'm sure he has demons. I'm not saying that. Yeah. But it's just not fair. Right. Because in a second, so his wife died because of alcoholism, because of the situation. The woman he murdered died. And then her family, you'll see. But in, um, in a 1994 writing to Joe Sharkey, the writer, Mark said, quote, I can't accept what I have done to my wife and kids. As I look around my environment, my inside scream that I don't belong here. Yet I know deep down I need to fulfill my societal obligations. I've tried to put myself in the place of Susan's family. And yes, I would want me away for a long time. So just to review, in three sentences we have eight eyes, four mys, one me, which equals very little remorse. Because he literally said, I need to fill my societal obligations. Murdering someone and going to, t- to jail for 10 years is not fulfilling societal obligations. Right, right. And the fact that you call it societal obligations. Like right. You murdered someone, you should think, oh my God, I deserve to rot. Not, I'm doing my societal obligations. That is insane. How nice to feel. Thank you for fulfilling your 10 year societal yeah. obligation. Yeah. The fact that he now lives a completely normal life. Right. Um, Probably being a predator towards other people, women. Well, I mean, even if it completely changes. I mean, I'm all for second chances in general, but not Not after murders. 10 years in prison. No, yeah, exactly. That's and not justice. Yeah. Second so chances are one thing. Right. But this is not justice. He might be a fine, moral, upstanding human, like killer two pillar, maybe. But, yeah. like, it's not okay that the way he views it is, oh, I really ticked off my family. I really embarrassed my family. And, yeah, her family probably feels bad about it. I don't know. I, that just rubbed me entirely the wrong way when I read it. Yeah. And the whole time I was like, uh, uh, literally until he killed her, I was like, yeah, that would annoy me too. Yeah, this isn't okay. Yeah, they should have done more to stop this. But literally that uh, 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 statement just enraged me. And I was like, I don't care. She literally stripped naked. You're right. in control of your decisions. Right. Everything that happened to you happened because you acted yeah. on impulse. Yeah. It is all your fault. You, like, literally a, I mean, to be in the FBI, you're trained. You know, I mean, like, yeah, if you strangle someone for 10 minutes, they're probably going to die. Well, this is why he wasn't qualified and never should have been in the FBI. But, uh, yeah. Um, but Susan's family ended up filing a wrongful death suit against Putnam in 1990. They were awarded 
$4,063,837. Okay. It's a very specific in compensatory damages and an additional $500,000 in punitives, but they never saw a dollar. Mark filed for bankruptcy in 1993 from prison, so the family has a judgment, but he's judgment-proof. How convenient. It's almost yeah. like he, like, thought of that or knew to do that or... Yeah. Or, I mean, maybe truly Susan, or not Susan, but Kathy use the assets to provide for the kids, whatever. I don't know. But, mm -hmm. nonetheless, even if they got all that money, it doesn't bring her back. Oh, yeah, yeah. It just... $900,000, some change, that's really gonna... 963837 in trend. Yeah. But it's like, what again, I mean, I wish that they could have had it because the whole family, unfortunately, lived in poverty their entire lives. Right. And it's really great that he has a normal uh, relationship with his kids. I'm sure that Susan's has a really great relationship with her kids with well, not being alive. Well, um, Brady, Susan's son, died of an overdose of methadone and Xanax um, like 10 or 15 years ago. So basically, he ruined everyone's life involved. Yeah. Uh, his kids seem to be doing okay from reports, and I'm glad. Yeah. I mean, they, yeah. they've lost their mom, and that's awful. And I I'm, can't imagine. I'm sure they're not okay entirely, but I'm glad that they're doing okay. Right. But her kid literally fell into right. a terrible lifestyle and died. Um, her sister before Kathy's death became friends with Kathy, um, just kind of fill a gap because they both had like a lot of grief and pain from the situation. Yeah. And it was like, even though they were at a weird, in a weird circumstance, they could bond over it. But it's like, by having this one affair and making these bad decisions that led in his mind to kill this woman, like as right. a result of it, he killed two women and he destroyed two separate families. Right. And now he's back to square one doing fine. Right. But uh, yeah. So that is the hour and a half long Oops. story of the murder of Susan Daniel Smith, FBI informant from Mate One, West Virginia. Um, the, the prosecutor in the case literally was like, nobody wanted to prosecute this man for doing this. And it, like, they were like, in my 28 years, I've never seen somebody be prosecuted for a blah, 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 blah. And it's like, just because he came to the realization and had the good sense to be like, I've done a wrong. Let me try to, my best to do the bare minimum to right. make some sort of Which, right. if that was really his intrinsic motivation. But before, really up to the affair, after the affair, and before the murder, he was a stand-up guy. Then right. Like, I don't think he was a terrible person. Oh, my God. But I think he's probably, yeah. you know, if it came to him or somebody else, it's him. Yeah. He picks him. Yeah. And so it's just, it blows my mind, though, that people can back someone who, thank God this person is no longer the prosecutor, but it's like, uh, yeah, he told us he did it. He confessed on his own free will, and he led us to the body. And, mm -hmm. like, he he wanted to plead guilty, not have a trial. But it's like, yeah, and then we had to prosecute him. And I'm like, why are you complaining? Right. That is just beyond comprehension. Yeah, I don't, Yeah. Well, um, if you want to get more angry, I can help you out with that. So, um... Can I just guess that you're going to do a wrongful conviction? Uh, I would never do that. Never. Never. Um, I'm gonna just start out with some facts of this case, and, uh, we'll kind of play a catch-up with what's going on now. Okay. So, I'm um, so mad already, I don't even know what it is. Okay. In 1985, two Birmingham-area fast food restaurants were robbed, um like when they were closing so like it was already closed they were like putting stuff away and like cleaning stuff and there were managers there um john davidson and thomas wayne vasson they uh both were shot and died the police had no idea who it was uh they had no suspects um and there were more and more situations like happening like this 
um, including a restaurant in Bessemer. I'm going to say this one. Say that wrong. Bessemer. Bessemer. It's just, it's just like a suburb 20 minutes oh, outside of Birmingham. Okay. Okay. Um, and that was robbed. And the manager was also shot. Uh, Jeez. But he um, was not fatally wounded, so he ended up being fine. God, so good. that kind of makes you think, like, oh, the intent wasn't to kill them, but, you know, at least... Okay, but you thing. did. Yeah, yeah. You don't get to, like, be sad for that, right? right? And so, again, like, the police had no suspects, and more and more situations were like this. Um, and um, it's unclear what made them arrive at this decision to stop by this um, guy's uh, house. Anthony Ray Hinton's house, um, and they showed up. He was in the middle of mowing the lawn, as he tells, and Anthony Ray Hinton is a black man, so oh, no. I don't think that they gave any, um, like, fear towards them, towards his mom. They're kind of like, hey, is he here? Like, we want to talk to him. Mm-hmm. Well, he comes up, he, up there, and pretty much right away, they arrest him in front of his mom, and he, like, talks about this being, like, a really hard thing for his heart um well, yeah I mean I would I mean I can't imagine like my parents I mean I'm I'm sure she didn't assume like oh you did it but yeah but it's traumatic it is traumatic no matter what I cannot imagine no um no, so oh my God, no. he um was brought to the police station and uh the manager who was shot but not killed um identified him in a photo lineup so like that's not like a Eyewitness testimony is the most unreliable of all of them. Right, right, okay. exactly, exactly. So, I, no, no disrespect to the poor man of a shot, but oh yeah, I mean, but also it's not reliable. He, exactly. Yes. So with that being said, um, he was arrested like there on the spot. Uh, however, he told them and obviously was able to corroborate the fact that he was in a warehouse, um, fifteen miles away from the um, restaurant this occurred at at the time of the crime, Good. and. Uh, talks about it being locked i don't really know what that means but he worked like an overnight shift so maybe it's like a there's less people there maybe for security security. exactly so he couldn't leave he had to like let someone know if he was leaving to get out actually um and uh while he was um in police custody at some point uh i don't know if it was the same day or something like that but police went back over to his mom's house um and were able to seize an old revolver revolver um that they got from her home um it's uh and it's unclear how they got this um i believe there was some question of an actual warrant versus a oh we need to get this for your son you know fibbing or well if he's already already arrested at that point though any judge in probably the south in the 1980s if he's already arrested they're gonna sign a warrant that says i'm not doubting the fact that they could get a warrant it's just whether or not they decided to yeah i mean it's not um you know, people in authority, this is, this is a part of their psyche, and it's not a blame thing, but it is, well, that's just the way it's been done for so long, right, exactly, and we're just now seeing why it's a problem, right, like, well, we've known why, but, right, it's getting attention now, right, um, but, like, how easy would it be to also be like, uh, ma'am, we don't want to have to go get a warrant, because then the newspaper's gonna find out, and everyone's gonna know that your boy did this, and blah, 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 and she's trying to help clear his mind, right, right, she wants to do everything she can to help him get out, right, 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 she, she, and if he's really at work, she knows that there's no problem. Right, exactly. She's like, oh, yeah, this shouldn't be a problem at all. Um, and let's see here. Um, so fast forward to his trial. Um, I, I don't believe he was released on bond at any time. Um, yeah, but, probably not. Yeah, probably not. Um, but in the trial, uh, state fire, uh, firearm examiners said the gun was used in all three crimes. Um, and we will get back to that in a moment. Okay. Um, the prosecutor, uh, McGregor, he passed away in 2010, um, but he, um, 
was obviously a part of this case. Um, and as a note, he was twice previously found by courts to have had um, illegally discriminated against black citizens. Um, the prosecutor. The prosecutor in terms of them being a part of juries. So, and he was, in 1990, he was found guilty of doing that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's great. So he made sure that at it's least for two of these that was found by courts. I mean, I'm sure he's done it. He had how many it. other times? Right. But, but he made two. sure there was an all-white jury so that he oh. would get the outcome. That's, that's yeah. Yeah. So, um. But, like, if you get found guilty of it twice, how many do you do it every day? And just right. maybe two people? And how many does it take for you to, for the state to be like, We've hmm, just maybe this isn't a good choice to be our prosecutor. Right. Like, especially in a place like Birmingham, Alabama, where. How many times do you get away with it? Right. Exactly. Where it ruins someone's life. Right. Who was probably innocent. So. Or might not have been innocent, but still had ramifications. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, if you want to be, um, grossed out by his, um, a extreme racism, he said in court, he could tell Mr. Hinton was guilty and evil solely based on his appearance. I'm sorry. I'm guessing that wasn't based on the color t-shirt he was wearing. Um. I mean, like, if you give me some descriptors, like somebody's growling at you, or right. like, they've carved 666 in their forehead. Right. Stuff like They're that. They're wearing okay. double horns. Like, yeah. yeah but, I, no, I don't uh, think Anthony Ray Hinton had any of those features, and if you know, I'll show you some photos. Uh, he is um, probably one of the most kind-looking men you've ever just seen in your normal, life. Just a normal guy. guy. Yeah. So how does he inherently look evil? That's um, a strong because he's black. Word. That's what um, the prosecutor. But like, I just don't understand how people got away with saying things like they just look evil. Like, well, how did you? Get then away with he that? said, um, uh, even if we didn't get the right one, so this is after the trial, which the right one, the right one. At least we got one off the street. It's, okay, so, so all is, black man. Right, yeah, black man. Even if I didn't get the right black man. Yeah. Okay. Not a, not a salamander. But that is an elected position. Yeah. That shows oh, the mindset uh, yeah. of the community yeah. that elected it. Yeah. Yeah. So, and if uh, I'm sorry, black citizens are having a hard time getting on the jury, do you think they're having an easy time at the polls? Well, they're getting a real, they're having a real easy time getting to be in the defendant's chair. Yeah. That's just... Just, Birmingham, you're having a moment right here yeah. in 1994. Yeah, I'm going to say that there's probably not that immense of growth in the past. Birmingham, I'm hoping you're having a better moment. Okay. Yeah, yeah we're, hoping you, we're hoping you're doing better, but... Uh, well, we got to learn. we got to learn from it. We can't just... Go learn we can't cancel. We can't yeah. cancel. We're condemning this. Right. But there is room for improvement. Yeah. There's there's yeah. a lot of room Do for better. improvement. Do right better. Um, Anthony Ray Hinton did have a uh, public defender. Okay. And... Um, Who are... Grossly underrespected yes. and underpaid. For some reason, he was told he was not going to have, or he was under the thought that he did not have the funding to get um, a qualified firearms examiner to go against what the state examiner had said. Okay. So he um, retained a visually impaired civil engineer with no expertise in firearms, a firearm uh, identification processes, things like that, and he even admitted he couldn't operate the machinery to test the gun. What does a civil engineer inherently know about firearms? Well, he was not it's expensive. visually impaired. Yeah. Uh, so, like, he okay. couldn't examine, he couldn't, because he was visually impaired, he, he Physically could not. Yeah, he, well, he couldn't use the, he couldn't use the, uh, testing equipment, he couldn't use the, um, what, the, what's that called, uh, microscope to, like, look at the bullets to match oh. the bullets to the gun for all three that we have focused on I'm sorry, this. I'm sorry, I just, why, why yeah. was he select? I don't, well, yeah. you could have picked, like, the grocery store clerk right. at that point. Right. Like, those just aren't, right. those things, those it's things like this, like, you don't know, but, um, and things like where, oh, I don't know, should not have an impact on someone's life. So, well, this is I a think murder you, trial. Right. 
Right, so it's a little bit more serious. Um, There's so also you can see, Grant, so yeah, yeah, you can see where this is going. Good. He didn't try to get in that fight. Right. Maybe. Or, I mean, who knows? I, uh, yeah. Someone over him could have said, uh, oh, no, you can't do that. Well, this is grounds for appeals for ineffective assistance of well, counsel. We'll get there. So, um, just some other things. Like, Anthony Hinton had no other history of violent crime. He um, was continued his innocence. He did not take a plea, um, which I cannot imagine the willpower to not do that. Yeah. Um, and at this point, he is 29 years old. Um, he passed a polygraph. Um, we know what we know about polygraphs, but um, that is... But the fact that he was probably already horrified as a black man in oh, Alabama that was falsely accused of murdering two people, seriously hurting or whatever, one... And to pass it with flying colors, that's, yeah. even though it's not a that's And the lawn impressive. isn't even finished being mowed. <laughs> the lawn is still growing. Yeah. And his lawn is alone at home. To take care of. Yeah. He's got stuff to do. Anthony. So, um, so since they didn't have a credible, uh, expert to challenge the state's assert- assertion of the match, of the match, um, he was convicted and sentenced, not to 16 years, like Mark, he was sentenced to death. So, to um, death. With based on circumstantial, yeah, um, the, uh, well, loosely see. circumstantial. They, the prosecutor literally says it was the only evidence that connected Anthony Ray, Ray Hinton to the crime. So they didn't. I mean, they didn't have fingerprints. They didn't have. They didn't. I mean, that, his alibi, obviously. Um, what you're saying, wasn't the gun enough. was the only piece. Oh yeah, the gun that was identified by a visually impaired. No, 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 no. that was the defendant that couldn't go up against what the state had said. Oh, okay. But, so, according to the state, they were right because they connected the crime. But okay. you can tell by my tone. Yeah. So, I'm uh, looking up his picture. I just want to see what he, because I'm trying to figure out. I think I know parts of this. Yeah. So, yeah. So, this case um, got some attention. Equal Justice Initiative, um, which is uh, kind of made popular by the book Just Mercy. Okay, yes. But, yeah. So, he, Anthony Rayton is briefly talked about in this case. That, I, I'm sorry, I have to interrupt you. If you... No matter, I just I just need to say this, okay? I interned at the prosecutor's office one summer in law school, and it was it was a learning experience. I actually worked with some really great people. I'm not gonna lie, oh, yeah. oh, I did, yeah. I did. Are there things that I think are built into the system that they have no control over? Oh, yes. For sure. Are they underpaid? Yes. Yeah. Do they still have to do a job because there's still crime in the world? Yeah. Yes. Are they getting pressures from other people? Absolutely. Yeah. But there are probably still some, just like there's some bad whatever other profession. But like. Right. But I read that book the summer that I worked at the prosecutor's office, and I could not walk into work without almost crying. Yeah. Because it's like, you see the things, and I'm, and again, I'm not saying that they even did a bad job at the one I worked at. Right. But it's like, you see that this stuff oh, is yeah. real. Oh, yeah. And like, as a little white girl who's never faced any sort of bias, besides, you know, people think, oh, she doesn't have such stuff. Whatever. I'm not. Yeah. So it's like, I can overcome that. Easily. And yeah. having a five minute conversation with you. But like. That book, and I'm not saying that I wasn't anti-racist before that or whatever, but, like, that book is what opened my eyes to the fact that I don't understand what's going on yeah. with, like, what black people experience. I will never understand, but I have to, as someone who hopefully will be a lawyer, can change it. Yeah, and, it's, and, and not even your, like, not even that you're, you're, you have, you're a white woman. You have space to, right. you have room to talk. Let's open up that if space. If you're a white Starbucks barista, you have room to be like, this is not okay. What I'm observing is not okay. Right. And I will not continue it just because that's what's expected of me. Right, right. Because so, read the book, watch the movie, really and good. listen to Oprah's podcast with Ron. Love her. Steve. Very, very well. Very good. And Brian, Brian Michael, amazing. Michael B. Jordan is yeah. the main character in that movie. If for any other, no other reason besides that, right. watch it because that, and go into it with an open mind and an open heart. Nobody's calling you a bigot or racist if yeah. you're listening to this and you're like, oh, I need resources. Watch it. 
you'll leave learning yeah. a lot and feeling like, oh my God, was I racist? But no, you just didn't know these things. Yeah. Now you know. No yeah. better do better. And when people talk about systemic racism, this is one of the many examples yes. that you can look at. I and mean, it's beautiful and graceful because Brian Stevenson is a wonderful human being that every time you know, discrimination was pushed in his face. He just, he was merciful. And yeah. he, he fought for his face, but he did it in such a dignified and graceful way. Yeah. That man, oh, I have the utmost respect for that yeah. man. Just, I can't even verbalize how much I respect that man. Yeah, just amazing. And I he, could scream Brian, about it for five more minutes. Oh, yeah, I bet. I bet. I don't know. Me too. Preaching to the choir. I mean, um, so Brian Stevenson was the lead attorney on um, Anthony Rahan's yes. case yeah. um, when uh, he went to appeal. So, um... At appeal, and I'm gonna I'm gonna jump around a little bit here, but um, at appeal they were able a part of what they brought was they were completely disqualifying the um, state's uh, conclusion that the gun was used in all three. Yeah. Um, they actually had three different highly qualified firearm examiners, including the former chief of the FBI's firearm and tool markers kit. Uh, unit. So, I mean, obviously our previous story doesn't put that in good light, but this guy knows what he's well, doing. Well, Mark was the only FBI agent that I know of to this point that was charged with homicide. That's They're true. not all bad. A yeah. lot of the FBI agents yeah. are the good ones. I mean, and this guy, I mean, if you're a specialist like this, you've put a lot of time into it, and you know what? Yeah. Good for him, because I don't really care about guns that much, but I could yeah. be the expert of uh, cheap wine, maybe. So um, At this point, I'm not the expert of anything. You're the expert of Pro- the full waffle. Waffles love. In procrastination. Yeah. So, um, they were able to testify in 2002, so this is like 15, 17 years later, that, um, the bullets of all three crimes could not be matched to a single gun. Wow. So, they were clearly different incidents or different guns for, at, at the, at the bare minimum. Yeah. And much less, uh, Anthony Ray Hinton's mother's gun. What um, it? So. That ain't yeah. it. So, um... They, wow! They, wow! The 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 they just had to do that. Yeah. They just had to do the basic test. Well, I mean, it was pretty convenient that they only had that one person. The well, state, the poor blind man, person, yeah, didn't know, and not his fault. He didn't even know what he's doing. Oh yeah, yeah. So that, I'm not but also saying the blind is a bad thing. I'm just saying he literally yeah. not in his realm of possibility. Right, and he was an engineer, not a firearm expert. Exactly. But also, but further that shame on the state for saying, oh, this expert comes to the conclusion we do. And yeah, that's good litigation, but it's also lazy litigation. Uh, it's judicial efficiency, but it's not fair or not prejudicial to the administration of justice. Yeah, so which is the uh, court and the prosecutor's job. Uh, I mean, yeah. How, what do you? What good do you do? This is what I always hate when this happens. What good are you doing if you prosecute the wrong person so that the person who's actually murdering poor innocent people who are just trying to make a dollar? Oh yeah. Fast, but they're still out there. Oh yeah. Well, as the, as the prosecutor said. We got one off the street, so even if it's not the right one. The, I, I can't. Find yeah, it. exactly. So, um, unfortunately, this disproving of the evidence, the sole evidence that put Anthony Ray Hinton um, in prison and on death row um, was not enough to get him out of prison. So, um, since then, uh, for the next, uh, well, let's see, 12 years later, they are still fighting. So how long had he been in jail at that point? Uh, in 2002, he had been in prison for about 15 to 17 years. Okay, plus 12 now. Plus um, another 12 following, which gets us up to 2014. Wow. Um, wow. That's like a lifetime for us at that point in our lives. Yeah. Um, the Equal Justice Initiative um, continued to ask state officials to re-examine the case. Um, 
There were um, former district attorneys, uh, attorney generals. They all failed the job to get Anthony Wright Hinton out of prison. It's one thing to be in prison. It's another thing to have an impending death. On death, yeah, you're yeah. dying. Yeah. That's something you didn't do. Um, so, uh, after 12 years of litigation, the U.S. Supreme Court reversed the lower courts, and a new trial was granted. So, again, not wow. yet. Wow. He's still in prison. Hey, right now? Nope. Oh, okay. Uh, I was about to say he's, still, he's still in prison at this point. So, just because there's a new trial, there's not. Right. You know, he's not out. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the judge finally dismissed the charges after prosecutors said that scientists at the Alabama Department of Forensic Sciences tested the evidence and confirmed crime bullets cannot be matched to the weapon that they allege was the uh, weapon that killed two and injured one. But why did you have to wait for SCOTUS to tell you to do it? You literally yeah. have an ethics code that you have to reveal exculpatory yeah, evidence. exactly. So, so that's a violation right there. Right. So they, um, so it was overturned based on his trial attorney, the um, Which could the have been done defender. 30 years ago. Right. Deficient okay. representation, as you said. Um, and the Jefferson County uh, Circuit Court Judge Laura Petro... Um, ordered a new trial after this. So again, we're still. Well, but we're back in trial. No, yeah. Well, that's this is this is the Gosh. specifics of why a new trial is granted. So Gosh. on February twenty fourth, two thousand fourteen, the Supreme Court um, unanimously granted relief to Anthony Ray Hinton, finding that his trial lawyer was constitutionally deficient. Um, and I want to point out that this is true, uh, based on the fact that he did not get a better. Um, a, a better expert. I mean, we don't know what the specifics are the, of that are. Um, but it wasn't that, um, he, Anthony Ray Hinton is, and you might know, like, what the legal, legalese is of this, but, like, uh, his prosecution was not just due to a trial attorney. It was due to the racism, to the dismissal of evidence mm -hmm. by the, by the prosecutor, um, the state's failure to keep a prosecutor in his position when he had been blatantly racist time and time again. Um, and that laziness is the reason why Anthony Ray Hinton uh, served close to 30 years in prison on death row for no reason. Well, I think it's a lot easier, too, to write into an opinion in effective assistance counsel. Because in a lot of, like, these Netflix series and stuff, you yeah. see, I think, was it Making a Murderer? Yeah. And The Staircase Guy, too. I know, maybe. I need to watch that. And even The Staircase Guy, like, loved his attorney, but, like, they found one little point that's like, oh, you could have brought this one, or you could have said that, and it's like, it's not even maybe that they were ineffective, right. but it's just like that's the yeah. thing you can get it on because you're not going to get a judge probably to put because this is a terrible miscarriage of justice because everything you just said. It's just I think usually most yeah. of the time easier to get that. Yeah, no matter what, it's you good take that he's that out. But take like, it. yeah, that's really that's just a really convenient blame the the only person who maybe not the lowest even, paid person in the room who probably was the most on his side out of everybody. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, so I'll talk about a little bit of follow-up in a moment, but I just want to talk a little bit about his prison experience. So Anthony Ray Hinton, um, is a public speaker. He is a writer, um, Good. and really empowered by his experience. I don't know how, um, if I was him, I don't know what position I would be in. Well, like you said, he just, I mean, you said based on looking at him, but he must just be a good, yeah. good human. Yeah. Who's forgiving, who yeah. is more graceful and than Definitely. we'll ever understand. So, um, I actually have been privileged enough to see him speak in person. <gasps> wow. Um, and this was back in 2017 or 18. I can't remember, but I remember a lot of things about his speech. So some of the things that he talked about was, um, being in, um, isolation, which was, oh, gosh. um, a big part of his serving time. Um, and, um, a lot of justice groups 
call out this as such a uh, demoralizing but thing to do. It destroys your mental capacity. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean he, he like, remembers um, his friends in prison. Oh. 54 men, specifically, um, oh. walked past his cell on the way to um, their um, execution. Oh. Uh, oh, my. that yeah. just got me literally... My, yeah, 30 literally feet away from him. Chills. So, he watched his friends, the people who he'd become friends with, right. walk to their death. Yes. And knew they'd never return. Yeah. Who, and knew, how many were guilty? Right. Well, that and he said he said we weren't a collection of innocent victims. You Not know? all of he them. He knows yeah. that there were some bad there were some bad acts done by a lot of those guys. Yeah. And he said, you know, the outside world called them monsters. They called all of us monsters, but I don't know any monsters on the row. And to me, that is a um, that's profound. It is. Yeah. It is, and it is a statement of the impact of of death row and the state choosing who and who not to execute. Yeah, because like you said, there's probably are some people we would categorize as monsters in there. Right. But there's so many. I mean, how are 54 people on, that he personally cared about years. walk past him on death yeah. row? Are there fi- really 54 monsters in one state at one time? Right. Oh, but there was, you know, hundreds right. more being incarcerated. So we did have some techniques to kind of get through it. I mean, I can only imagine 30 years in isolation, how to not go crazy. Um, really would. He would make up stories. Um, I cannot deliver it as well as he did, but, you know, he talked about, well, you know, I uh, married Holly Berry while I was in prison. <laughs> um, but, uh, Same, buddy. you know, one night we watched a movie in prison together, and that night I just had to break it to Hallie. I had a divorcer. I was marrying Sandra Bullock, which, you know what? I understand it. Oh, my God. That's so sweet and uh, innocent, yeah. but so sad. I know. And he talked about meeting the queen. He did not marry her. Did I... he ever get married? You know? Like, those are probably subconsciously things he wanted. Yeah. Not necessarily have a beard. Yeah. Like, did he get that? Right. Like, they robbed him of his entire life. Oh, yeah. I mean, I can only imagine. I mean, but that's, that's what sweet. I would... that's sweet. I'm glad yeah, that he exactly, had Exactly. Exactly. And he went through a lot of hard times. Like, he went through moments where he was like, okay, I can't do this. Um, an yeah. example, his mother um, died when he was in prison. Um, and he was not able to see her mm-hmm. prior to this. Um, obviously, uh, was not able to go to her funeral or really say his final goodbyes um, except to the Lord. So, that was really oh. a hard time oh, for God. him. And that is one of his darkest moments that he talks so about. So, the last time she really saw him was getting arrested, basically? Yeah, at trial. Gosh. You know, not, 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 not in the light that you want. Yeah, as a monster. Not that she thought that, but that's what he was being painted as. Right. As. Right. Wow. Right. That, that, that's, that's something that you can't ever get back. Yeah. No money. No, no, no award. Well, and we'll get to that. So, um, in speeches, he talks about the impact of being in isolation. So, again, the things I just mentioned. Um, in fact, as soon as he got out, he bought a California king-size bed to stretch out after being on that terrible cot. And um, God love him. He still talks about, though, he, um, every night, he takes up the space oh, of no, no, that no, cot from prison. No, no. So. I've heard stories where, where people have said when they get off, like, isolation or, I don't know that it's death row, but, like, extreme confinement, it's like, I can't sleep in a bedroom. I have to go sleep in the tub in oh, the bathroom. Yeah, yeah. Can you can you just imagine? Right. I, I truly can't fathom being in that psychological space. Right. And that is done to you. You didn't start there. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly. just torture. And um, uh, California king-size beds are really expensive. Um, right. And as Alabama law says, um, compensation may be awarded to a wrongfully incarcerated person if the Committee on Compensation for Wrongful Incarceration finds that he meets the eligibility mm. criteria. Mm, okay. So, um, uh, the Equal Justice Initiative talks about how this is more of a uh, application, more than like a 
in uh, more of a formality um, in order to go through state legislation. And um, the application was approved, and a senator at the time, uh, a Republican senator at the time, uh, sponsored a bill to bring the compensation. Um, to help him get compensation? Yeah, because Good. that's the order to do that. Um, I'm not sure exactly but the, um, how that, if this was written on it or the requested amount or how this worked, but there was discussion of him receiving $200,000. For 30 years. I don't, I have no idea what is normal, what I can tell you $200,000. But if you get in a, like, a car wreck, you might get $200,000. Right. Um, You're probably fine. Well, here's the issue. He has yet to see a single dollar from the state of Ohio to this day. The The committee never granted any funding towards him. So he's he. It's not in progress. It's not awaiting it's approval. It's it's denied. not. There's no, it's denied. There's no there's no money coming for him for him, and likely never will be at this point. So how do you expect someone to pick up their life and become after thirty five years of wrongful incarceration on death row? How do you then expect someone to fulfill their I'm sorry to quote Mark again societal obligation and be a fruitful member of society when they don't even have any money because they've been in jail for thirty five right, years? Right. So how does he even yeah. reenter society? Well, because they were giving him full rehabit. Uh, rehab and education while he's in prison, of course. Okay, so that means that people just roll out the red carpet for a former accused murderer to yep, be there. That's exactly how it goes. Okay. I'm not saying that he shouldn't be rolled out the red carpet for and Oh, he job. should get, like, a red carpet, orange, but purple, right? Uh, there's people who still, if you ask him, will be like, he did it. He did do it. Mm-hmm. You know, like, that doesn't change anything. Yeah. Like, that's that's mind-blowing. Well, if you want him to uh, receive some funds... Uh, Tell me how to do it. You can buy his book, The Sun Does Shine. Um, and it is a New York Times best-selling book. Um, I've not read it, um, but I am looking forward to it. That's it's one on of the Oprah's top two. book club. That's I, when I Google this picture. That's one oh, of the yes. things that popped up. Yeah. So I would really, I mean, at a minimum, minimum, I would start by just like watching some of his speeches. He is just a powerful uh, speaker, which is above, well, be uh, well above what I would expect. Well, how do you just not hate the world? And you're, I'm not going to talk to anybody. I'm, I'm angry. I'm angry. I'm I, angry. I'm angry. I'm angry for this man. Yeah. And this is, this is a wonderful case, um, to be discussed in, uh, pointing out the issues with our government and our society as a whole. Um, but this is not a one-off. No. This is not no, a two-off. No, 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 no. This is just a very, just, this is an inkling. This is a good case that has a There very... is worse evidence out there than yeah. guns. So, um, Keep well, that in mind. Also, in just mercy of Walter McMillan. Yeah. It's the same, even less evidence. Like, I think right. he just knew the lady. Yeah. Or, like, well, yeah. might have been hanging with the lady. But still, like, no evidence at all that he was just white. He could have hung out with the lady and there would have been an issue, so. Yeah. But it's like, like you said, this is not a one-time thing. Two yeah. Time. This is a... And to be clear, time. one wrongful conviction... Is one too many. Is one too many. Yeah. But, uh, happy Halloween. Yeah. Get spooky. Um, let's... get spooky. What are you gonna do to get spooky? Um, nothing because the night before I'm gonna be celebrating Natalie Page's Me too. birthday. Happy birth, happy belated birthday, Natalie. Yeah, this will come out after the greatest day on earth. So the the hands down the greatest. Yeah, and before the second greatest day on earth, election oh. day. Oh, I started to say Halloween. Well, it comes out on Halloween. No, no, Halloween's maybe the okay. Maybe that's like. Do you think That's election like, day is the greatest day on earth? Yeah. Just, or are you just trying to hop it up? Both of them. Okay, because I was about no, to No, but actually, I really do like election day. Because you like civic duties and yep. constitutional freedoms. And it's, it's time to vote. It's time to vote. Yeah. It's Let's time vote. to vote. It's time to vote. Um, my peak is... Um, I had 
really like not stressful week. Last week was really, 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 really stressful. I was going through it, but this week was really But I had a lot of stuff to look forward to, like recording with you, hanging out with my mom tomorrow night. I did a wine like lesson last night. I saw that. It was very interesting. I spent way too much money on wine, but it's fun. Um, I really like learning about like different areas. I think it's cool. Yeah. Um, you should always be learning. Yeah. Oh, but my. I don't like ending with my pit, but... I'll start with my pit, then. Yeah, that sounds good. Um, my pit was... Oh, God. Um, watching the debate last night. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we watched, like... I'd say it was a lot better than the one before it. Oh, yeah, because we I discovered watched. the mute button. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. I, I posted stuff on my Instagram. I was like, oh, so what we really needed was just a woman being in charge. But then I was like, okay, but she... She did do a keep. She did a better job keeping them in control, but they still just nasty said whatever the heck. They yeah, wanted. I turned it off after a while. Yeah, I was doing other stuff at the same time, so I didn't. At this point, we people know who we're voting for, man. I hope. I hope. I hope. So it's like I just said, hope, hope, hope. I know I'm voting for, so I'm like I'm not watching this. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Please don't base your decisions just on the debates alone. Cause no, look people up. See what they care about. Use the interwebs. Well, I mean, if you base your vote on. The debate's long. You wouldn't be voting for anybody, probably. Yeah. The fly. <laughs> you wouldn't be voting. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm just so over politics right now. I think I, this is my pit. Normally, I really enjoy politics, and, like, yeah. I lean into it, and, I don't know, it's just, like, me and my dad really like a lot, but I don't think there's just a lot of stress going on right now, mm-hmm. off, and I'm just, like... Can't have like, to it. Yeah, and, like, Halloween is my favorite, and I'm just, like, I don't have time for Halloween. Like, I'm just... And that is a very selfish thing. I don't mean that. But I'm just saying, like, when you're in a busy season of life or, like, a stressful season of life, you don't enjoy the things... Or you don't get to enjoy the things you normally do. Or, like, you... They just don't even register with you. Yeah. It's, like... Yeah. Like, you're, like, oh, I missed that. I forgot that was that. You know? that was an option. And then, hmm, what is my peak? Honestly, probably recording this has been really fun. I, I know. Your story had me, like drooling. Glued to my seat. I don't know. Glued to your seat. You're supposed to be on the edge of your seat. Oh yeah, that's what I mean. Jeez, OP. I was on the edge of my seat. I I really did not, I mean, talk about twists and turns. Okay, but that story had more twists and turns than the back roads that they were driving on, honey. I was thinking that uh, analogy in my head. Q seems to be, it's not all poverty. It's not, there is a lot of poverty because there's lack of infrastructure and lack of opportunity, but it's not all just so destitute and mountain people. You yeah. Know, that That is... Great. I mean, you're from there. That's a pretty good testament. Thank you. Josh is from there. Jo- yeah, Josh. Josh is a nice man. Josh is the nicest man I've ever met. He does another but He's my best friend. Yeah, he, he likes you a lot. He, he laughs at my jokes. He would be very excited and jazzed. Well, he'll be jazzed to hear that you're his best friend. If he listens. Oh, he's got work for me. I don't know. He might. He doesn't like true crime stuff. Like yeah, he, that's what he told me. He was excited when I told him what I was doing. Yeah. Yeah, he loves stuff like that. So it's like, I don't know. I just was destined to like this. Destined for crime. Because uh, it's time, time to crime. crime! Woo! I think that's a good. Happy Halloween! Spooky, spooky, spookies.